This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put this one in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, this market's gotten real simple, right? Just real simple, real fast. We got a new rubric to judge stocks. How much China? Too much Chinese exposure? You're toast. But if you've got little or no Chinese exposure, your stock can rally or even roar, even on a not-so-hot day like today. Dow dipping 101 points, S&P declining 0.28%, NASDAQ losing 0.45%. And yes, I do sense the desperation out there. The house of pain. The rever- reverberations from the trade war have gotten incredibly far-reaching. Starts with the companies that could be directly affected. And the number one, everybody knows it, even the you know, Mr. Magoo knows it, Apple. Everyone knows Apple has a ton of Chinese exposure, but how much exactly? Wow, this morning Goldman Sachs published a piece, a really smart piece of research, arguing that if China bans Apple's products, their earnings could take a 29% hit. Obviously, for this, that stock is not ready for this kind of shortfall, even after it dropped nearly four bucks today. Uh, worse, Apple's supply chain is deeply embedded in China, and Goldman says they can't move the production anytime soon. So if the Communist Party does anything to limit iPhone production, even if it's the nose cut off face thing, the consequences could be serious, especially with the next iteration set to come out this fall. Now, we all knew Apple had substantial Chinese exposure, duh, but nowhere near, I think, what Goldman was talking about. I still believe you should own Apple. I'm not, tra- not trading. However, this is important. Listen to me. You need to strap yourself to the mast if you're going to hold on to this one, as we've done for my travel trust, which you can follow along with by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club because it's going to be rocky. Remember, while the experts warn us that Apple's China business is at risk, we haven't heard a peep from the company or the Chinese about this. Their ecosystem supports millions of jobs in the PRC. If the Chinese government wants to retaliate against us, it would make a lot more sense to go after a product that's made in America. Not a product like the iPhone that's made in China. That's good for China. But if President Trump keeps back blacklisting Chinese technology companies, I, I don't know. I guess they might feel compelled to go after Apple. How ugly could this get? Steve Bannon, the president's former strategist, who in many ways is the architect of Trump's trade policy, says that shutting down Huawei, yes, the rogue Huawei, is more important than getting any trade deal. As he sees that the success of Huawei poses a national security risk. Now, whatever you think of Bannon, We can learn a lot from the fact that he's out here calling for the president to cut off Chinese access to American capital markets. Again, Bannon's no longer in the administration. He's the hardest of the hardliners, a really old school American firster, frankly. But he's got a point about making it harder for Chinese companies to raise money in the U.S. here. These deals have generally been bad news for American investors. Last year, 31 Chinese companies that came public here in the U.S. uh, uh, Just 21. 21 have lost you money. 14, nearly half, are down 20% or more from their IPO price. 
what's the worst that can happen? We lose access to IPOs like Luckin' Coffee. That's a deal I desperately urge you to avoid. When? I told you to. Sell, sell, sell. And then on Monday. Sell, sell, sell. Luckin' was typical of what we're getting from the Chinese. It priced at 17. It opened at 25. Whoa, hot as a pistol. And since then, it's declined in each and every trading session, including today, closing down 15% at 14 and change. The House of Pain. I checked in today with Howard Schultz. He's the visionary former CEO of Starbucks who warned us about Luckin' Coffee in the first place. Here's what he told me this morning. It's a quote. I hate to say I told you so. I'm not clairvoyant. But unlike the herd mentality that chased this overhyped, money-losing startup, I saw firsthand in all my visits to China these last few years exactly what Luckin' is. Nothing more than a financially engineered Chinese version of Boston Chicken. For those of you who are too young to remember, in the 90s, Boston Chicken had an explosive IPO, but the company expanded too far too fast. Went right to the sun, Mr. Icarus, and all we flamed out. It's not the end of the world if we stop getting these low-quality initial public offerings. That's said, obviously, there are real victims to this trade war. The retailers are reporting right now, and again, the key thing here beyond the earnings and the same-store sales, Chinese exposure. Some of these chains suffered from weak execution, like Kohl's and Nordstrom. Very pertinent reason why Kohl's got clobbered yesterday is that it flunked the China test. Gets a lot more of the merchandise than People's Republic than many of his peers do. Stock keeps falling. Down another 3% today. My chapel trust owns it. I feel like an idiot. There you go. Hey, Twitter people. Kramer even admits that he's an idiot. Well, why not? If you get something wrong like that, you should. All right? Then you move on. You move past it. You don't stay there and keep thinking about it and thinking about it and ruminating. Got me? I contrast that with Target, which reported great numbers and made you feel like the tariffs are no big deal, which is why the stock rallied nearly 8%. Today, the pattern here is that Target will get multiple upgrades tomorrow. Stocks should keep flying more on Target later in the show, while Kohl's is more likely to languish, languish being a uh, good news, frankly. That said, at these levels, I do think Kohl's is too cheap to ignore, but that's dividend. And because I do believe that Michelle Goss will get it right. Okay, I am hopeful. What else? NVIDIA keeps getting slammed. I ain't just talking about my dog. We spoke to CEO Jensen Wong last week and came away less concerned about the company's long-term exposure to China. Remember, they make their parts in Taiwan, too. Unfortunately, Wall Street's still just completely flummoxed here. Some are afraid of Chinese gaming slowdown. Others are wringing their hands over whether China will try to block NVIDIA's excellent acquisition of Mellanox. That's an Israeli networking equipment company with lots of data center exposure, even though Wong told us that the Chinese want to bless the deal. Oh, and of course, you have the semiconductor cohort away from that one, uh, weighed down by worries about the Huawei blacklist. Bank matters worse. Qualcomm lost a major federal antitrust case last night which is why that stock plunged more than 10% today. Boy, that thing gave up almost. Talk about not being a you know, bulls bank money, bears bank money, hogs get slaughtered. You had to take something off the table on that. The judge found that Qualcomm abused its monopoly position in wireless technology to extract too much wealth from its customers, including the outlaw Huawei. Apple could have won too, but they settled with Qualcomm before this ruling. Say la vie. Then there's Tesla. You, what, you didn't think I was going to mention it? What, you think I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm uh, obtuse? Uh, Tesla's stock keeps going down. It's down another 6% today. Tesla's got a bunch of problems, but perhaps the biggest one, the biggest knock? According to the bears, Tesla needs its Chinese sales to be going, going strong to make the numbers. I cannot think of a worse, worse, worse market to be levered to right now than China. Plus, it probably does not help the stock that Elon Musk is no longer allowed to hype it on Twitter. I miss that. 
Now, if you own stocks of substantial China exposure, your portfolio is wearing cement galoshes. Okay, Star Trek, thank you. But what about the companies with no China exposure? Well, their stocks are free to roar higher. Consider the Cloud King, zero Chinese business to which speak of Workday, ServiceNow, VMware, Adobe, all of which rallied very nicely today. Remember, Adobe CEO Shantanu Narayan told us exclusively last week in San Francisco that his company only is in China because, well, its software gets pirated there. Bottom line. I don't see the trade war resolving itself anytime soon. In fact, based on everything I'm seeing, I think it gets worse before it gets better. I'm not saying you should skedaddle for every stock with meaningful Chinese exposure. I just want you to know what you own so you're not surprised when this pattern continues. That way, you'll be able to buy stocks that get marked down for the wrong reasons the next time the whole market gets hammered. Let's go to Paul in Connecticut. Connecticut, Paul. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. I'm asking about uh, FCX. Uh, what will it take for FCX to rebound? And uh, do you think a trade deal with China could be the catalyst that stock needs? The house of pain. Uh, you know what? I got enough problems on Procter & Gamble. Uh, I do think that you're really, that stock can go down before it goes up because, boy, we're away from a trade deal. Uh, and I'm not uh, that fond of that balance sheet, frankly. I'm, a, I'm not a balance sheet aficionado of that company. I think it's uh, no go. Hey, you know what? Let's go to Jeff in Florida, please. Jeff. Yes. Oh, yeah, Jim. Jeff in Orlando. I had a question for you. I purchased NTNX in 2017 at 24. Saw it go down from 24 to 14. Stayed with it. Saw it go back up to 65. Stayed with it. Is it going to be a takeover candidate? And how oh, no, no, it's not, gonna, it's not going to be a takeover candidate, to, that, to my knowledge. I thought, you know, we put the company on. Remember, I'm a VMware fan, okay? I like it a lot more than VMware. I, it's down 12% this, this uh, year. I think VMware is the way to go. It is my favorite in that group. What can I tell you? All right. The Chinese situation, it, I believe, is not about to resolve itself anytime soon. So know what you own and tread accordingly. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, there are plenty of unknowns in the market. But one thing's for certain, Chinese tariffs won't stop us from spending on our cats and dogs. Like mad, we just keep spending on them. Then, you know what we're going to do? How great is this, huh? Is this, like, fantastic? This is what I call Kramer's bottom line, all right? And we... uh. Uh, and, and shares of a cloud play that may not be on your radar up 50% so far this year. Is it time to answer the call? Do not miss my sit down with the CEO of Ring Central. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps.
Whenever investors get worried about the big picture stuff like the trade war with China, I recommend falling back on your favorite long-term themes. They'll do just fine, even a worst-case scenario, a tariff-induced economic slowdown, which everyone's been buzzing about. Themes like the humanization of pets. Now, I keep pounding the table in this story, not just because I have two dogs, but because Americans now treat their dogs and cats like family, which means spending vast sums of money on their health care. That's why IDEX Laboratories, the number one maker of diagnostic systems for animals, has been such a huge winner. This thing's up nearly 35% year-to-date, on top of a 19% run last year. And that's happened on hardly any news, aside from the fact that the company just keeps delivering. IDEX tends to report strong earnings. Three weeks ago, they delivered a terrific beat and raised quarter. Really nice, fabulous growth, hence why the stock's been such a juggernaut. I think you can keep charging higher. You know I've been behind this all the way, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with John Ayers, the chairman, president, and CEO of IDEX Laboratories, get a better sense of his company's prospects. Mr. Ayers, welcome back to Man Body. Thank you, John. Have a seat. Great to be back. Okay, so, John, I'm talking with my wife, and she says, Jim, there's an article in the Times about a doggy cafe. It's gotten there, hasn't it? I mean, we now not only, if we're going to take them out to a fancy restaurant, we're going to make sure that their health care is tip-top. If they're willing to spend on uh, the restaurants, the health care has to come first, right? And you can get a puppy latte. Just don't feed that human food because then you'll have a lot of IDEX diagnostics on your hand. Ooh, didn't know that. That's good to know. Um, a couple things that every time you come to play. Uh, aging baby boomer dogs. Well, you know, dogs get old, too, and they get old seven fast. times as fast no. as humans. You know, a dog 10 or 11 is geriatric, and, let alone And is 12 years old now. Oh, he's geriatric, yeah, a geriatric no. patient. Yeah. Well, he uses a lot of your stuff, right? Yeah, well, you got to make sure you do probably twice a year for, uh, for a 12-year-old dog, including IDEX preventative care diagnostics. It's so important that the diagnostics are part of the annual wellness visit. How many of uh, uh, those uh, pop-up vet stores have... That wellness. Well, you know what? They're beginning to address a part of the pet-owning population that's not traditionally gone uh, to the full-service veterinarian. One-third of dogs do not get an annual visit and three-quarters of cats. So we think the pop-up is sort of expanding. Okay. And they're also using our diagnostics. Uh, oh. Everyone tells me millennials have no money. Uh, if they do have money, it looks like what they're doing and Gen Zs, they're spending more on pets. Well, that's, uh, they're, they're very attached to the pets. You know, 42% of millennials believe their pet has special health needs. That's more than double the percentage of baby boomers. They're in touch with their pets because, in fact, all pets have special health needs. So they're more likely to go to the vet more frequently and more, more willing to uh, listen to an advanced standard of care. I, I don't want to denigrate humans too much, particularly because we had a, uh, I had a guest the other day from Novartis who said, well, we underestimate humans when it comes to artificial intelligence. But people are having fewer and fewer children, but they're not having fewer and fewer pets. Well, sometimes the pets are the kids, right? right? You know, that's, it's, part of the, it's, a, it's a family thing. You know, you have pets join you at the dinner table. If you're not taking them out to dinner, maybe they're at the dinner table at home. Of course. And, and cats, too. All right, so let's talk about some of the things. That, the bundling services, obviously really helping your numbers, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. The, uh, we're, we're unique in that we're both the leading reference lab provider where the tests are sent out and the leading point of care where the tests are run on our point of care instruments right there as part of the exam. And so when we bundle those together in terms of a complete diagnostic offering, you put in our cloud-based solution. We're on the Google Cloud. We have the number one app by far in the industry. You get the whole diagnostic history right there, whether you sent the results out or you had it uh, run on your in-house lab. Well, uh, obviously you're quite confident because almost I can't find another company that has a 25-year animal diagnostic revenue. You're that confident. 
We are runways. We're just at the beginning. Preventative care is only 10% adopted. We have another 10 years of placements of catalysts and our urinalysis, you know, with the, the liquid, you, gold, the liquid, liquid gold. gold. These are I mean, long, yeah. long runways to growth. The nice thing about uh, demographics is you can predict them out for decades. Right. Now, I, I always want people to understand the history of where we are um, because my generation, the idea that the dog sitting at the table is ridiculous. The, the dog used to be in, in the basement, whatever. But what is the adoption rate now versus what it used to be? Well, uh, actually, we're seeing a, a growing ownership. But the main thing is they're taking the vets more frequently to yeah. the pet. They realize that, that, that dogs and cats. But, you know, this thing, it used to be the doghouse. When was the last time you had somebody have their sleep, dog sleep in the doghouse? Now we're talking about either the foot of the bed or on the pillow or maybe under the covers. Yeah, I have all three of those for me. Um, now, you've got uh, the weighted average year-to-year change per practice. It went down, but then it's come right back up. Total clinical visit grew. I mean, these are just consistent over the long term. Even when there's a dip and people sold your stock last time, it came right back. Well, we, we think that the long-term trend is about 3% volume growth in visits. And then diagnostics is becoming more relevant. And then, of course, we're adding same sort of sales on top of that, and we're adding share. That's what's giving us in the first quarter. We had 11% recurring revenue growth yep. in our diagnostics. In the U.S., 14% internationally 12% blended. This is the virtuous cycle of recurring revenue growth. And uh, I thought also, I don't know how you really did it. I mean, tried to go over and over and over. How did you get your operating margin up 210 basis points with that level of growth? Well, we, we do keep investing in the business, right. but that strong organic growth on profitable innovation that we're bringing People are valuing it, and it's 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 very it's it it just flows through. Sometimes we just can't invest fast enough, and and uh, we have a great quarter like we did in the first quarter. On well, this question, I was at the um, Healthy Returns Conference yesterday for uh, uh, CNBC, and there was someone talking cannabis as being better than your arthritis medicine. Do you think cannabis is something you have to look at? Uh, it, well, it depends on it. If we're talking about you know there are therapies. I think they're still pretty emerging, okay. you know, so we have, to be, yeah, we have to be careful. You don't have anything for a dog that eats wood or pens? They eat everything, well, and that's why our digital imaging business is so important, because we find it in the radiograph. What does that no, do that's there? how we found the blue, the, uh, Bluestone coffee in, uh, in Idiot Marley. We call him IM, <laughs> Idiot Marley's stomach. I mean, thank you for what you do, because NVIDIA and, and Marley would not be alive if it were not for your company. This is so, well, that's John Ayers. He's IDEX Laboratories Chairman, President of Boy, am I glad we stuck by with this because this is one of the great secular growth themes of all time. Everybody is back after the break. Coming up, knock, knock, ring, ring. Can this stock protect your home and help you ring in the returns? Kramer comes knocking with Ring Central when Mad Money returns. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. 
when you go to a baseball game and someone from your team hits a grand slam, you're on your feet cheering. When you watch the NBA playoffs and your team is about to win its fourth game of the series, you stand up and you know what you sing. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye. When you go to the opera and it's a Bafo performance, give them a standing ovation and you shout, Bravo! Why should the stock market be any different? This morning, Target reported spectacular. I mean, spectacular, which is why I'm here cheering and screaming and shouting for CEO Brian Cornell and his amazing team. What else can I say? I'm often accused of being a cheerleader, and in this particular case, I'll gladly admit to being guilty as charged. Target delivered 4.8% same-store sales growth, with much of that strength coming from digital sales, up a staggering 42%. At a time when we've gotten used to severe disappointments, that eviscerate the stocks of major retailers, whether we're talking about the normally reliable Kohl's or the inherently unreliable Nordstrom, Target's done something astonishing. They figured out how to beat all of their opponents, from Walmart to Amazon, everyone inside outside the mall. The secret to the success? Half of Target's online sales come from same-day transactions, either via the curbside pickup program or via the phenomenal shift service that they bought a year and a half ago for $550 million, a bargain at any price. Target now has 250 markets where you, have, you can have shipped, and that's S-H-I-P-T. Deliver your order directly to your front door, your kitchen table, or even directly to your refrigerator if you want it. And it's in a matter of hours. Ships a subscription service that costs 99 bucks a year. You know, it's a lot like Amazon Prime, but you know what? I could argue it's cheaper and better. Or you can order online. Then they have them walk your stuff out to you in the parking lot. Target's already doing this in 1,250 stores. Uh, No fees. As someone who hates going inside the grocery store, even though I know exactly what I want every night, King's Chicken. The service is a godsend. Target's gutsy decision to make its stores the centerpiece of the fulfillment system. A lot of people question that one. Brilliant move. Best thing about these numbers, they're driven by higher traffic, up 4.3%, not higher price. We've heard from many retailers that reported disappointing numbers and blamed the rainy weather. Hey, maybe it wasn't raining on Target's side of the street. Still, you got to wonder, if Target can do this well with weather's lousy, what kind of numbers will be able to put up when the weather's fine? Oh, and while everyone's moaning about tariffs, I felt confident after the conference call's Q&A that Target is very much in charge of its own destiny on this issue. Plus, Target has made going to stores kind of fun again. Whenever I go somewhere new, I always hope I'll run into a Target, especially that small format one. I was in one of those new Amazon Go stores last week in San Francisco, no cashier. It was a terrific novelty, quite intimidating, by the way. But I much prefer going to the Targets to see what they have that I might not be looking for. That's exciting to me. Now, the quarter was so good, I feel compelled to give Brian Cornell, CEO, last word. As you said on the conference call, to get to where we are today, we decided to make some bold changes over the last couple of years. But I want to emphasize something important about those decisions. When we made them, we explicitly focused on taking a different path than our competition. As Cornell explains, we said we would open stores when others were closing them. How true is that? We said we'd invest billions of dollars in our shopping experience and our team. Who else did that? When others were pulling back. Well, Walmart did, but that's really about it. We said we would use our stores as digital hubs because it delivers speed and convenience for our guests and it aligns with our digital strategy. We said we'd invest in differentiation when others were simply looking for scale. And we said we'd maintain our balanced multi-category assortment, one that's unique in U.S. retail. And how true is that? To ram home the point, he added, we're not trying to be like everyone else. At Target, we perform best when we're pursuing our own path, not when we're chasing someone else. And our first quarter performance is a clear example of the benefit of that approach, end quote. What can we say to that other than bravo, Brian? 
No wonder Target stock jumped 7.8%. As for Target's competitors, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye. Betsy in California, Betsy. First of all, before I gave you my stock, I just want to say thank you for showing me how to do homework. Yes! It's made like 160% difference. And today, I wanted to tell you about how thrilled I was to get Boot Barn. Oh, Boot how Barn great are they, huh? When we had them on? That was a Matthew Boss special, by the way. So tell me, you think, uh, what do you think of it now? Oh, dropped off. That's what they do. This caller... Betsy in California, because our callers are so smart, brought Boot Barn to our attention. I initially thought that it was too niche, but then they came to the show and we saw all the different things that they do. And we recognized that it is a secular growth theme, Western wear, and a lot of us are very much into it. And thank you, Betsy. I've got to tell you, I took some heat the other day on, uh, on uh, what was that, on the Twitter? I mean, how about this? It's a teaching show. Well, you don't like teaching? Did you go to college to get stupid, stupid? Target hit bullseye this quarter. They out-executed everyone. I say, bravo! Hey, much more made money. I clean my shoes with Ring Central. How can I help you? Can it, can it uh, help bring in the returns? I got the CEO. Then after years of getting nicked by razor brand Harry's, the maker of Schick's shaving products is paying up to join forces. I'm going to talk with Edgewell Personal Care. i got to tell you, this stock seems low. And we're going to also bring the Harry's guys out. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I checked with my That's cashier at T- TJX. Davis never been. That's <laughs> not true. I've been no, there. I know. You lie I know like where a rug. The socks are. They move no, them. No, no. You, have you, did you ever look at the luggage? Tell me about the luggage they have. Looked at them. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Shaving can be a hairy affair. And for a business, success often stands on a razor's edge. Is the medicine cabinet too packed to keep the grooming business booming? Or can this company redefine what it means to be smooth. For anyone who only started shaving in the past few years, you don't know how good you got it. Look, in the old days, buying razors was a horribly frustrating experience. You were subject to the whims of a powerful oligopoly that could charge you a fortune for little bits of plastic and metal. Even today, uh, buying razor blades in person, uh uh-uh, huge pain in the neck, don't like it. Then companies like Harry's and Dollar Shave Club moved in with a subscription-based business model. You know we think this is the subscription-based economy. You'd order the razor online, and they start sending you recurring shipments of blades for a low monthly fee, much less than you pay for a four-pack of Gillette Safety Blades. These discount shaving plays have now captured massive market share and brought the incumbents to their knees. And that's why Unilever and Procter Gamble both made acquisitions here. If you can't beat them, I guess you'd join them. And a couple of weeks ago, we learned that Edgewell, that's the maker of Schick and Wilkinson Sword Razors, is doing the same thing. They're buying Harry's for $1.37 billion in cash and stock. I think it's a brilliant move. But the stock market disagrees as Edgewell's stock plunged 15% on the news. To me, that seems wrong. 
This is one of those situations where you either become a disruptor or you get disrupted, and Edgewell's making the right call. So let's dig deep with Rod Little. He's the president and CEO of Edgewell Personal Care, along with the two co-founders and co-CEOs of Harry's, who are sticking with the company, Andy Katz-Mayfield and Jeff Frader, get a better sense of this transformative deal. Gentlemen, welcome to their money. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, so Rod, uh, one of my favorite analysts is uh, Bonnie Herzog. I've known her from when I was a hedge fund manager. She goes, congratulations on the deal. And then another fellow I don't know, uh, Ali um, Dibaj from Sanford Bernstein, he says, hey, how would you defend succinctly the more cynical view here? I apologize for saying this, but the acquisition smacks of a little bit of desperation. How can one analyst say it's desperation and the one right before them say congratulations? What's going on here? Yeah, Jim, the, the simple answer is there's not a good comp for what we're doing. Comparable. Not a good okay. comparable for what we're doing. Um, we are building what we think is the next generation consumer products platform uh, that perfectly blends complementary capabilities that when we look at our competitors or other in the space, it, it hasn't been put together this way before. And so we, we on the Edgewell side have a fairly short history. We're only mm. publicly traded for the last four years, spun out of Energizer. So our story is a little unknown. Uh, we have a total shareholder return track record the last four years that, that's not great, frankly, being honest. Uh, but we also have a new leadership team uh, right. in the company. Ten top positions are all new to the company uh, or new to position. And we have a transformation that's been underway for a year. And so people don't really see who we are right, going to be. Early. Still early. We're changing the company We're changing the company. And frankly, this acquisition is the centerpiece of accelerating that transformation. Because on the Edgewell side, we have great technology and IP mm-hmm. around blades and formulations. We have global scale, infrastructure, and we have a great portfolio of well-established brands. On the Harry side, they have digital marketing, they have brand building, design, a direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. platform that you talked about right. earlier, and an omni-channel capability to grow at retail. Okay, so let's talk about the, uh, really the formation of Harry's. Uh, you, like me, Andy, uh, you don't like the, the way the store, but give me what made you get angry enough to do this. Yeah, so... Back in 2011, I had sort of a nervous breakdown in a drugstore. You know, the razors were locked in a case, and they were overpriced. They were overdesigned, and the whole experience just— You didn't like all that plastic? I did not love the overall shopping You didn't like the landfill aspects? The the brands didn't resonate. Um, I fortunately had a good friend in Jeff um, who— We've known each other for a long time. He's actually co-founder of Warby Parker um, Eyewear Business, which was— Found it out of a similar frustration, um, and so we set out to just build uh, a, a shaving brand and ultimately a men's care brand um, with a different approach that provided great value, right. differentiated design, um, and uh, you know with a real sort of consumer-centric mindset. And then uh, we went to market. Okay, so Jeff, uh, when I look at it, it's, Warby Parker is very interesting because it's it, great looking. The product is great looking. The presentation, I love the way this looks. Did you design it? And you obviously are far from just doing razors now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we think of Harry's as a brand that, as Annie mentioned, has to be customer first and to do whatever is right for the customer. And when we thought about the brand, we wanted it to feel warm and approachable um, and very much there for our guys. And so we started online to get to know our customers, to be able to control the brand narrative. Over time, we've expanded the brand. You know, we started by expanding to specialty retailers Mm -hmm. like Barney's and J. Crew. Today, Harry's is available there. It's available at Target. I was going to ask you, we we have a huge staff of people who love your stuff. And one one of our guys gets it uh, 
At, at Target, though, yeah. doesn't that defeat the purpose? No, because as we as a brand feel like we have to be there for him at Target, and we have to be there for people who want to buy online, and we think we need to be there across more products to help guys with everything they need to do in the morning. We are a customer-centric brand that needs to be best in class in all the channels that we play in for our customers, and we listen to them, we get to know them, and then we're there for them, and we hope to be there in ways that are different than how they're expecting other brands to show right. up so that people don't have nervous breakdowns. But No, I mean, just the opening experience. the plastic is just impossible. You take the scissors, I can't, I'm not strong enough to open it. I'm reasonable. <laughs> so, Rod, let me ask you. Uh, this is a very expensive product. This is what I shape with, okay? Is, does that fit with the rest of the products? I mean, or is this an aspirational brand? Yeah, it is an aspirational brand, Jim. It's, it's a high price point. It's prestige-only distribution. Um, but when you look at, at where we're going as a company around global grooming, men's skincare, it's a category that's growing rapidly. The products are amazing. And interestingly enough, it's a founder-led brand that we acquired about a year ago, and it's doing very well. So and we learned good. a lot from that that we can apply here. Now, I'm just always surprised. Look at these brands; they're great, and it, women pretty popular, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, recently launched Flamingo, um, which is a woman-focused brand, both online and at Target as well, and it's having success in both of those channels. And um, it was a brand that was built uh, by women on our team with mm-hmm. women in mind, um, and trying to sort of solve the consumer needs in that segment the same way we were able to solve it in men's. And, and just yeah. one last thing. Talk to me a little bit about sustainability, how important it is to you, because obviously the old days are not, the old brands are not sustainable. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's incredibly important to us. Um, we literally, uh, on all of our packaging, right, give a shave, uh, recycle. Um, and we think that, you know, that's an important message that we've always had within our team. And it's not only on us from where we are today, but we need to innovate here, if we're going to be a next-generation CPG platform, we need to lead the way in sustainability. And can you change everything like the way one? I want to total sustainability. I mean, frankly, I, look, I, I'm just not into the plastic. Yeah. Jim, grab the Bulldog Razor package right okay. there. It's all paper. Like that. That's what I want. Right. There's no plastic in there. The, hand, the handle's a recycled bamboo handle. Right. Uh, all sustainable. That's the roots and heritage of that brand. So we well, have the capability. We've set ambitious targets. And we've staffed the team up to go after sustainability. Well, I think it's terrific what you've done. Congratulations. Congratulations to you guys. Really doing the right thing. Really doing the right thing. Thank All right, that's Rod Little, President and CEO of Edgewell Personal Care, Andy Katz-Mayfield, and Jeff Rader, co-founders and co-CEOs of Harry's, who once again are staying with the company. Stick with Kramer. It is time! It's time for the Lightning Round! Come on, Rockstar! One other save the sucker! Five out by some two into the spot. Play the game! Play the top! And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the Lightning Round! Come on, Rockstar! With John, you're John. I'm John from New York. You Jeff, bet you are. Seventy years old. Thank you for all your wisdom and knowledge over the years. Long time listener, long time believer, and uh, you can walk on water as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. I, I'm calling about a stock that 52-week low. It's got a PE of eight, over four percent dividend. Considered the best quality of all the automakers. In fact, I own a 2003 Honda, 280,000 miles. Only thing I've changed. With a brake life. You are the second person. You're the second person this week has told me to look at Honda. I I said the same to the other guy, which is that I don't like any of the auto stocks except for Ford. But the story you told is actually a good one. Because I researched this after the last guy told me. Uh, By the way, Toyota's not bad either. So there you go. I need to go to Ronnie in California. Ronnie. Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you, sir? 
great, great. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Chinese online store Whip Shop. No, no, it's come and gone. The time for Whip Shop has come and gone. John and Georgia, John. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking the call. My um, pleasure. I bought Twist Biosciences on the secondary offering that J.P. Morgan did in early May 21. Yeah, I like bought it. in uh, a little later. Uh, my question for you is, in a buy, sell, or hold at the current level, which is about I like 26. it at this level, but remember, highly speculative. But J.P. Morgan deal, and I like it. They got very good biotech, very good bankers. I need to go to uh, Michael in New York. Michael! Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. Uh, calling today about a stock uh, called Peridium, P-E-U-M. We spoke about a year ago, actually, yesterday, Jim, on OKTA which, of course, has been one of our favorite stocks, I know. Oh, I'll get uh, this, co- this company seems to be growing their revenues, growing their earnings, growing their customer base. It's over its 50-day moving average. Uh, it's a micro-cap in the cloud space. Just wanted to know if you have any thoughts on it. I, I don't know it. Uh, I don't know it. i got to do some work on this one. Okta, I do know. I actually dropped by their headquarters on Saturday uh, just to see if anyone was working there. Uh, let's go to... Bonnie. Bonnie, California. Bonnie. Hi, Jim. Hey, Bonnie. Thank you so much for taking my call. No problem. I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. Um, One is, what is going on with Marathon Petroleum? I bought it at 58. It keeps going down, down, down. Well, you got the best management in the industry, and it does yield 4%. A lot of this has to do with the spread of how much they make, and it's come down, and people are freaking out about all the refiners. So don't take it personally. At 4%, I like that level. Remember, I have weaned myself away from recommending fossil fuel stocks because I recognize that the millennial generation doesn't want to hear it. Chris in Florida, Chris. Hey, Jim, big booyah. Booyah, Chris. I'm an old Marine down here, and I'm wanting to fly again. Tell me something good about JetBlue, J-B-L-U. It's, uh, I like to fly it. That's really it. Let's go, to, let's go to Derek in Illinois. Derek! Yo, what's going on, Jim? I don't know. You tell me. I got tickets to Pink Concert tonight. My wife just surprised me with them. Not bad, huh? <laughs> I like Pink. She's from yeah, down the block where I grew up. Foul mouth, though. Okay. What's up? Potty mouth. Oh, well, today, you know, I was on the stock market. I'm calling you about Cody. You know, oh, man, today, I think it's I too dangerous. I, it's moved too much. I looked at Edgewell tonight. I thought the Edgewell's kind of interesting. I think Cody's moved too much. I need to go to Donald New York, please. Donald. Hey, Jim. How are you, young man? Ooh, thank you for calling me, young man. I was feeling a little bit worn out the other day because they were beating me up on uh, that uh, that Twitter thing. What's going on? I, uh, I made a great trade a few years back in DGC Partners. I walked in after my morning run, and you guys were interviewing uh, Harold Lutnick. Right. And I didn't know at the time it was Howard Lutnick, but he just sounded brilliant to me. And the last thing that the interviewer asked him was, is the dividend safe? And he said yes. And when he, when he was identified as Howard Lutnick, I said to myself, he's one of the good guys, I'm going to take a shot. So I yeah, it, it didn't work. I, you know, it didn't work because it, the business doesn't have any growth. And we want growth. It's just not, they're not a great stock. I, I trust Howard, he says dividend's good, but... I need growth, and it's not been a good one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
When the market gets slammed over trade war worries, remember what I said at the top of the show. Don't forget what's working. Last November, in the middle of a genuine bear market, I told you to buy the cloud-based software plays into weakness because we knew they were in great shape, and many of those bets have paid off incredibly well. Take Ring Central. That's the cloud-based business telephone platform that's disrupting the traditional corporate communication space with a digital offering that handles voice, video, messaging, conversation, collaboration. The key selling point, Ring Central makes it simple for individual users to log in with the same identity across multiple devices, including their own personal phones. In early November, I told you to put this one on your shopping list. And if you listen to me, you made a killing. Ring Central's now up roughly 50% year to date. The latest leg hire came at the beginning of the month when the company reported just monster 34% growth. You know how much I love numbers like 34. And management raised their full year guidance, not to mention giving us bullish commentary about the next quarter. The only downside, the stock's been running ever since. Now it's just less than three bucks off its all-time highs. Can you keep up the momentum? Let's take a closer look with Vlad Shmunis. He is the founder and chairman and CEO of Ring Central, and find out more about his company's doing more. Senator Vlad, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, sir. Hello, Jim. How have you been? Thank you for having us. All right, I have to tell you, Vlad, you're uh, lied with a company that everyone asks me, how do I get in on? How do I get in on Zoom? And I'm thinking, get in on it by talking about Ring Central. You've got a great partnership with them. Yeah, we love Zoom. Uh, we've been a very early partner of theirs uh, since they were a very tiny company. Uh, obviously, they've been in the news lately, well deserved. Uh, we've just announced a continuation and extension of our partnership. So more to come there. All right. Now, big supporters. people need to know more about you. Nine out of 10 employees say disjointed communications, telecommunications, telecommunications technology negatively affects their workflow um, and job satisfaction. That's where you come in. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, what Rick Central does is we replace legacy on-premise business communications equipment, uh, PBX uh, boxes, mm-hmm. for those of you who know this terminology, uh, with a pure cloud-based solution. In doing that, we don't replace just the voice component of it, but we add messaging, video, collaboration. We have an open platform, open APIs. We integrate with other cloud uh, providers. We also have a contact center solution. So we have an all-in-one solution for all business communications, anytime, anywhere, any modality. How did you think of it? I mean, you know, a lot of people say, I didn't even, uh, my life is miserable at work because of this, this, this. You just realized that people were miserable and decided to come up with a solution? Uh, well, I don't know about the people. I was miserable. Okay. You were miserable. <laughs> I was miserable, yeah. No, I'm a fairly regular user. I'm an avid user of Ring Central, I have to say. But all of my communications are through Ring Central. Uh, we have uh, north of 4,000 people in the company. Ooh, okay. uh, Ring Central is the communications uh, system of choice, it's Ring Central on Ring Central. Our uh, largest customer, we've just announced very exciting news. Uh, a company called Waitrose out of the UK, uh, arm of John Lewis brand, 45,000 uh, seats right. on Ring Central. And that's how you, that's the measure, that's the metric. Uh, that's, that's it. Uh, prior to that, we had uh, Columbia University announcement, that's 42,000 users. So what, what makes us, uh, what unites us, all of, all of us? It's uh, the fact that we are all mobile. Mm-hmm. These are uh, large and growing organizations. And people need to communicate within, meaning within the organization, as well as without, with their customers, their suppliers. And this communication needs to be multimodal, voice, messaging, video, etc. Right, I always try to pick some examples so that people can go, we are huge Golden State Warrior fans here. We went to the game last week. Thank you, Greg, for all your help. That's a terrific guy. What exactly does Ring Central do for the Golden State Warriors? 
Well, I wish I could say we're their lucky mascot since signing the <laughs> agreement with us. They've done pretty well, uh, but uh, obviously they're a fine organization. Uh, so what do we do? Uh, we are an official communication partner uh, for Golden State Warriors. Uh, as well as for their new uh, Chase uh, Sports Center. Oh, for the new center, okay. Exactly. And uh, very exciting, obviously world-class organization, uh, doing pretty well these days. So uh, to be, uh, you know, to make it simple, is all business communications of Warriors uh, front office, Warriors back office, okay. as well as anything to take place within the Chase Center facility itself will now be powered by Ring Central. That's terrific. And I also know uh, you've got some other great, you, you, you've got BMW, Red Lobster, that's one you can help us with. Everyone's been to the, the seafood lover. That same situation, right, that all the, mat, the executives that can go all coordinate best with you. Well, it's yes, but similar. Uh, so Red Lobster, uh, Waitrose for that uh, yes. matter, um, uh, a, a, a few others. Uh, so this, we, we would call them retailers. You know, Warriors okay. is not a retailer. So what makes Ring Central uh, an absolutely right and best uh, in-class solution for them is, if you think about it, they have lots of facilities. Uh, throughout the country, sometimes right. throughout the world. And these are not very large offices, each of their own, but right. altogether, there are thousands and thousands of them. And Bring Central unites them all together, ties them all together through a pure cloud solution. Well, I got to tell you, there's need for you at every organization retail, healthcare, finance, education. They're all going to work for you. Thank you to Vlad Shmunas. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Ring Central. I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of the people on the staff. This is a very hardworking group of people. Mad Money's back after the break. Thank you. All right, you hear the chatter. I hear the chatter uh, all day today. Bear market, bear market, bear market. Well, it's not a bear market if you're in Workday. It's not a bear market if you're in service now, is it? Not a bear market if you're in VMware. Remember, this is a bifurcated market. There's winners and losers. If you want to stick with the whole S&P, that's fine. I'm not against index funds. But recognize there are stocks that are working and there are stocks that are not. And the stocks that are working are what we call secular growers like IDEX Labs. If you want to freak out about China, well, think out. Don't think, freak out about IDEX Labs. I like to say there's always more work summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Gray. I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.